0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. It is good to see you this morning. I too hope that you had a great Fourth of July weekend celebrating with friends and family, being able to uh, enjoy fireworks, being able to enjoy that, celebrating uh, the great country that we live in. We do start a series uh, today for the month of July called Freedom, and let me just it has nothing to do with the freedom that we celebrated on the Fourth of July, while that is great and I'm thankful we live here in America. The freedom that we're talking about during the month of July um, quite frankly is way more important um, so we'll get there we'll help explain what that means, but let me ask you this: how many of you enjoy a good story or a good movie? Anybody but I love a good story, a good movie I- I've shared this with you before. I only like like Happy ending stories, right? You know what I'm saying? Like ones where things don't go bad. It drives me crazy to watch a movie where it, life's hard. I get it, but people are doing whatever it is they're doing, and they all die at the end. It's like, man, what in the world? Life is hard enough. But the great, the great um, storytellers, the great movies, they're able to, to to suck us in. And again, I like them. I call them '80s movies. All right, you know, in the '80s, at least the way I remember a lot of the '80s. All the movies ended well. The nerdy kid got the girl, right? And it, was, and it all ended up well for them. It's, it's the, it was the 80s stuff. That's the stories that I like because life is hard enough as it is. You know, I wonder though sometimes if you and I try to live life as if we're in an 80s movie. You know, I mean, we recognize that life is hard, right? But I think some of us. Let me say it this way. I know sometimes I try to push the, the, the hard stuff in life. Try to push it aside and cover it up and not really deal with it. Not really allow God to deal with it. I mean, here's, here's what I mean. We cover up our scars both physically and emotionally so that no one can see the damage that's been done to us. Because we're afraid that as we start to show who we really are that someone may not really accept us. We come to church trying to look squeaky clean for everybody, when in reality we spent the 15-minute drive to church lecturing our kids, not just lecturing them, yelling at our kids, and maybe holding them a little bit to a higher standard than we should. But when we get out of the car and someone says, hey, how you doing? And you paint that smile across your face and you're like, man, things are great, they couldn't be better. I'm loving life, my kids are wonderful, right? Right? We post Instagram photos and Facebook photos that make us and our families look like we're perfect and that things are wonderful. When in reality, things aren't good with your spouse. You spent yesterday fighting with them or whatever it is that may be going on. Things are hard. We drive nice cars and we wear trendy clothes. Why? So that the folks we know will let us be a part of the cool kid crowd. We all remember that, right? In high school, there was the cool kids. Everybody wanted to be a part of them. Even those that were a part of them wanted, had to try to be a part of them, right? By wearing the right stuff, driving the right cars, going to the same parties, doing the same things, making sure that life looked good on the outside. We even in the church sit in our small groups because we believe that they're important. We know that they're important. But instead of really getting honest about, here's what I'm struggling with in life, when it's time for prayer time, we sit there and say, you know, my grandmother's sick. Please pray for her. And I mean, that's an important thing. We want to pray for that, right? but we don't share about, hey, I'm struggling with this addiction. Why? Because we're afraid that people will look at us and just like I only like 80's movies that end well, we're afraid that people will will turn us off to, to tune us out when they see that, oh gosh, things aren't really perfect in this person's life. And that that creates really a burden on us, yes? For those of you that have ever tried to live that way, there's a huge burden because it's hard to keep that facade up. It's hard to keep acting like everything's just okay. The good news is this, is we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to live a life wearing masks, pretending that we're not... Burden, pretending that we don't have guilt and shame, that that feeling that we don't measure up. There is good news. You can have freedom from your past, from your present, from your enemies, from your memories, from your struggles, from yourself. There's hope. And the hope is this, is that there is a God out there that loves you tremendously. Not the sanitized you where you've kind of washed the outside, but the real you. He wants to take you and He'll transform you and He will free you from the burden of guilt and shame. And that's what we're going to be looking at this whole month. This past week, our staff, we're starting to relook at what we're doing in evangelism because you realize that there's lots of people in our community within a 15-20 to 20 minute drive of our church that, that there's people that don't go to church anywhere. There's people that don't know who Jesus is. And, and if they stay that way, if no one ever tells them about who Jesus is, they will die and spend an eternity apart from God. And listen, church, that's not acceptable. And so we as a staff, we're starting to look at that and go, all right, what is it? I mean, not that that's new information for us as a church staff, but we're relooking at what is it we're doing to help share Christ and to help us as a church reach out. Well, we were we were starting that discussion this past Monday. We were listening to a sermon on evangelism. And the the, uh, the speaker Quoted Hudson Taylor, he says this, All of God's giants were really weak men who believed that God would be with them. See, people, Hudson Taylor had it right. He understood it wasn't that we've got to make ourselves strong, we've got to clean ourselves up, and we've got to take care of all of our problems, and then God would use us. No, 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 no. It's that God will use us even in our weakness. Matter of fact, that's the way we're supposed to operate. Don't miss, don't miss a Sunday this week as we're looking at finding freedom. But today we're going to get the ball rolling by looking at a very, very, very familiar story if you're if you've grown up in the church. A story so familiar that I that I really looked at and went, okay, can we find can I find something else? Is there another story in the Bible? Because my fear is, is that when you hear the story that we're going to be looking at today, you'll go, ah, I've heard it before. And you start thinking about where lunch is. So please don't do that yet because Today, really, you're going to have the opportunity to quit being fake. Now, I know that, don't be be offended that I said some of us are fake. Listen, I am sometimes. In a crowd this size, I know that there are people that are struggling with this. You're struggling with performing for others. But you're going to have the opportunity to quit doing that. You're going to have the opportunity to celebrate that you're made free in Christ. You're going to have the opportunity to have your heart remade, new, restored, and if you've got all of that together, then you're going to be reminded of how you are as a follower of Christ to help other people learn this. So let's dig in. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. It's the story of the lost son. As you're turning there, I want to lay, uh, lay a foundation for you. Jesus, he's speaking. And he's spending a lot of time with men and women of doubtful reputation, meaning sinners, the dregs of society. That's who Jesus was hanging out with. And the Pharisees have gathered around. They are intently listening to Jesus' teaching. And he tells these two quick stories before we get to our key verse in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He says, what if you were a shepherd? You had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. Wouldn't you leave the 99 who are together? And wouldn't you go and you'd find the one that was lost? And when you found it, that you'd get it, you'd put it on your shoulders. You'd carry it back to the flock. And then when you got there, what would you do? You'd call your friends and you'd say, Hey, celebrate with me because I found the lost sheep. And then he tells this story. He says, it was a woman who had a coin and she lost it. It was a very valuable coin. And she, she tears her house apart. She's sweeping. She's moving the furniture. She's lifting up the rugs. Why? To find this lost coin. And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends together and says, Celebrate with me. Why? Because I found my lost coin. And then he tells this story. This is all going into in section. He's not, he's not given time for pause here. He says this. An incredible story. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. I'm reading from the message translation. He says, There once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what is coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. Now, let me take a break there for just one second. Let me frame it this way. Here's basically what happened here. The younger son goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want to pretend as if you already were dead and I want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance. And so in that culture back then, the first son would have gotten most of the inheritance, but the second son was entitled to about a third of the possessions. And so the, the father there would have had to have figured out what is it he all has? The land, the cattle, his money. He sells stuff, and he comes up with a third of it, and he gives it to this son. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there, who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would even give him that. That brought him to his senses. He said, All of those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out to him, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't even listening. He was calling to his servants, Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked, What's going on? The boy replied, Your brother has come home. Your father has ordered a feast because he is home safe and sound. The older, older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk with him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look. How many years have I stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief? But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on horse shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, I don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead. and He's alive. He was lost. And He's now found. What an incredible story. What an incredible story. Sermons, book series, studies have been written on the different characters in this story. But today we're going to focus on really, I think, the main character in this story. And it's the Father. We're going to learn some things about the Father here. Why? Because it's through God the Father that we have freedom. He is the one that really heals our brokenness. He is the one that will restore us. We're going we're to dig in here. What is, what's the first thing that we learn from, about God the Father in this story? It's this. We learn that God immediately runs to us when we simply turn towards Him. God immediately runs to us when we simply turn toward Him. Now listen, this part of the story, it would have been a surprise for the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. Here's the reason why it would have been a surprise. Normally, a father in that culture, one that, that had the resources that this father had, and one that had been disrespected by his son, would have waited for the son to address him first. The father would not have, would not have reached out. He would, he would have waited to see, is the son going to show me some kind of indication of respect? We see in verse 20 that while he was still a long way off the Father ran. the father ran. It would have been a surprise to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, for another reason. You see, there was a similar story that was told in Jewish tradition, but in that typical Jewish story, the Father rejects the Son. And I'm sure the Pharisees listening to Jesus when he started said, "Ah, oh, I know the story. I know how this is going to end." But Jesus throws the curveball and says, "No, no, no, the Father here." represents God the Father and He runs to meet the Son. Listen, to help us get perspective on this even a little bit more, it was okay in the ancient Jewish world, read the Old Testament, that a son like this, you know what the father could have done when the son said, hey, I wish you were dead, please give me my inheritance? The the, the father could have said, you're a rebellious son, I'm going to take you outside and I'm going to throw stones at you until you die. Yet, the father that Jesus wants us to know He wants us to know that he's a father that has exceptional compassion. The father runs. Runs to meet his sinning son. And that is a crazy thought, especially for the people then listening to that story. It's familiar to us. We expect it. Because we like the 80's movies. We want it to work out right. But to them it would have been crazy for him to have done it. The father who represents God in order to run would have had to have hiked up his robe Anybody ever tried to run in a robe? I mean, I did a couple years ago, not because of this sermon. I thought about doing it again just to remember. But I've got a wintertime robe that I'll put on every once in a while when it's cold outside and I've got to take the dog outside. And every once in a while, our dog Zoe will decide that, hey, I'm going to run off. And so you have to go chase after her a little bit, especially when she was younger. And I had to get the robe and pull it up so that I could run after her. It was not a pretty sight for anybody watching. Wouldn't have been a pretty sight back then. But not only would it not have, or wasn't a pretty sight back then, that would have been a just a a no-no for a father of status who have shown his legs and run after a son who had done what? I said, I wish you were dead, Dad. Jesus wants us to see here, though, that this father who represents God doesn't care what others think. His love was so great that he went running, running, sprinting to his son to embrace him. Listen, God is waiting for you just to turn towards him. Listen to the following verses: James chapter four, verse eight. I don't have these on the screen, so write these down. You can look them up later, but let me read for you: James chapter four, verse eight. The first part of that verse says, "Come near to God, and He will come near to you." Verses teaching us all you got to do is come, start to come near to Him, turn towards Him. And God will come near you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 57. Lamentations 3, verse 57. You came near when I called, and you said, Do not fear. God came near. All the person had to do was to call out, and God came near. It reminds me of the story of Peter walking on the water. Just in case you don't know that story, Peter and the disciples, they're in a boat. They're out on the on the water, and the wind and the waves are coming up, and Jesus comes walking across the water. What an incredible miracle! But Jesus comes cro- walking across the water. They're looking out there, they're a little bit afraid, going, Oh my gosh, this might be a ghost. And Jesus says, Hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, Hey, listen, Jesus, if it really is you, I want to get out of the boat and walk towards you. Jesus says, Okay, come on. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts walking across the water, but then he gets distracted at all the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. And in my head, the story looks like this. Jesus is still a long way off. And as Peter is sinking, he cries out and says, Lord, help me. And Jesus is boom, immediately there. And he pulls them out and they get in the boat and everything is good. Jesus is there. God is there when we call out to Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While we were still sinners means we hadn't even thought about heading back to God yet. We haven't even turned back to Him yet. And God is working on a way for us, for you and for me, to be reconnected to Him. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So know, know this, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've experienced, God is ready to run towards you too. God is ready to run towards you too. He will embrace you just as He did the Son in this story. What an amazing love our God has for us. But what else do we know? Not only does God run to us, but God immediately, the second thing we learn is God immediately forgives. He didn't lecture His Son. Remember in the story, while while the Son was still separated from the Father, the Son had this little bit of a longer speech. And so the son runs home. The speech ends, supposed to end, make me one of like your hired men. And so the son begins to run home. The father runs out to meet him and and the son starts to speak, but he doesn't even finish. As the son approaches his father, the son is relying totally on his dad's mercy, completely humble, recognizing that he doesn't have really a right to ask for anything. He doesn't have a right to ask to be back a part of the family. He just says, says, Father, I'm going to need your help. What do we see the father do? He stops the son mid-speech, doesn't let him finish. And he calls out to the servants and says, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put the family ring back on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. What is the father doing in this story? You get it? Listen, he he is symbolically restoring the son back into the family. I mean, in some ways, he's making it as if the son never left. He's saying, son, I'm welcoming you back into the family. I'm not even letting you finish your speech. I can see in your heart that that you're coming in humility and coming knowing that you really don't deserve this. But but I'm not going to let you finish it. You're forgiven. You're back in the family. This is the picture of what Jesus does for us when we choose to follow Him. The Scripture says He takes our sins, which are like scarlet, and He washes them whiter than snow. When we become followers of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're made right with God and we are called children of God. 1 John chapter 3. Again, write it down. Read it later. But let me read it for you now. It says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. This is the same type of phraseology that that Paul uses in Romans when he says that we are to cry out to God as Abba, Father. Meaning, Daddy, Father. Certainly way more personal. Way more involved than just Father, Father. I mean, in our day and time, I'd be offended if my kids called me father. They call me dad or they call me daddy. We get to have that same relationship with God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. Does that that not amaze you that he loves us so much that he wants you to call him daddy? But more than just being able to call him daddy, we find in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sin is doing this. It's simply turning towards God and admitting that we have gone against Him. And this verse says that He is faithful and just. And he will forgive us. He will restore us. You don't have to wonder any longer if God has actually forgiven you. If you're a follower of Him, He has. I know that sometimes people struggle with their salvation. They wonder, could God really have forgiven someone like me who has done all the things that I have done? They wonder about it. And the enemy hurls accusations at them and says, ah, you may have you may have thought you wanted to follow God, but you're not good enough. Think of all the stuff that you've done. Look at all the stuff that you're currently doing. Ah, God's not forgiving you. Listen the Bible is either true or it's not this parable that Jesus is telling either gives us a picture of who Jesus is or it doesn't. This verse and uh, these verses in first uh, John chapter 3 either tell us that we get to become his children and in 1 John 1:9 1, that we get to be forgiven or they're not and, and we believe as followers of Christ that the Bible is true. You don't have to worry or wonder any longer. what he said is true. If this picture of God is true, it is true. We don't have to struggle anymore in that. So we've learned that God will run to us, run after us, run towards us while we're still a long way off. We've also learned that God forgives us and restores us immediately. But the third thing we learn is that God throws a coming home party for us. Have you ever been away from home for a period of time? And you come home to a party? Maybe it's not huge, maybe it's just your family. You know, I love seeing the, the videos of our service men and women who come home after being gone for like a year. And maybe their community, maybe it's just their family, but man, they are throwing a huge celebration. Never experienced anything quite like that because I've never been gone for a year. But I've been gone for about two weeks at a time. When I travel and, and go around the world for missions, and, and especially when my kids were a little younger, they put together the poster that says, Hey, welcome home, Dad. Lindsay would have made us one of my special meals that I, I like, and it helps me to feel loved and, and missed and appreciated. I felt like I was home. And the father, in, in verse 23, he's welcoming home his son to make sure that he knows his son feels appreciated. He doesn't just say, hey, buddy, you're part of the family. Let's go back to work. He wants his son to know and feel appreciated. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. So they all began to celebrate. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating people being made alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead in our sins means that we're separated from God. It does not mean... Anybody watch the show Shark Tank? Some of you do. You know Mr. Wonderful on there? I can't remember his name, so I've got to call him Mr. Wonderful. He'll often say to people that, that, that fight with him or that he doesn't like or that don't give him the respect, he'll say, you're dead to me. And what he means is, I'm never going to think about you ever again. I don't care if you make it or not. That's not what what this dead to sin, or being dead means. Being dead here means that we are separated from God because of our sin. But you've got to know that, that God constantly is thinking about you. matter of fact, go back to our parable of the lost son he's looking for you to return he's looking so that while you're a long way off that when you turn he runs to you how did he make that possible by coming living here on earth dying on the cross and being raised again so that you and I so that you and I could be forgiven so that you and I could know him so that you and I could be reconnected to this God. I want to go back to a parable that we very quickly went over at the very very beginning. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to read the parable of the lost sheep. I'm going to read it slowly. And as as I'm reading it, know this, that these really are the words that Jesus was speaking. Let them sink in. Meditate on them. Let them, I I hope, let them be a reminder to you that there is a God that is crazy in love with you. Again, bow your head, close your eyes. Nothing magic in that. But listen to Jesus' words. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, Celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Listen, there's at least two groups of people in here. And For those of you that are already followers of Jesus, in just a few moments, we're going to come back after we sing. I'll... I'll give you some instructions for a prayer time. So for the next few moments, be praying for those around you that maybe don't know Christ. But I want to speak for the next minute or so to those of you who do not yet know Christ. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe this is your first time being at a church. But but maybe it's the first time you realize that there is a God, there is a Heavenly Father who is ready to forgive you, who is ready to run out and meet you, ready to restore you, ready to celebrate with you. And if if you've realized that today and you want to choose to follow God, you want to turn towards Him so that you can experience being made part of God's family. Tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask You to come into my life to be my leader. In other words, God, I'm giving You complete and total control and to be my forgiver. God, forgive me. Thank You, God, for restoring me. Thank You that You are the loving, gracious, heavenly Father. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, Even if you didn't get the words just right. Because again, it's not a magic prayer. Those words, it's not a magic formula. But if you prayed something like that, the Bible says, guess what? God in heaven is celebrating right now. And we want to celebrate too as a church. We want to help you on your journey of following Christ. And so on that communication card that that Pastor Jay spoke of at the beginning of the service, on the back of that card, there's a box that says, I'm choosing to follow Christ today. Choosing to follow Jesus Check that box and then if you'll let us know by turning in your card when we take the offering in a little while later in the service or at the end of our service, heading to the front left side of the auditorium. We have an encourager table there. There'll be some people. They'll they'll give you some material to help you on the journey. But more than that, they'll celebrate with you. Not in a way that will cause you embarrassment. But they'll celebrate with you this morning. Father, thanks for hearing our prayers. Thank you for bringing us salvation. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.